0: Welcome back to episode 36 of the Game Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Poe. And yeah, it has been a couple more weeks since I've been back, but all that matters is I'm back right now. So let's just start with the news. So, first news item FIFA ending exclusive partnership with EA Sports. FIFA is now planning on ending its long standing exclusive partnership with Electronic Arts. In a statement issued by the organization, FIFA says, that it is reassessing its approach to esports and the gaming industry, hoping to look beyond just EA Sports in order to broaden its horizons and give football fans more specialized experiences. Quote Gaming and esports are the fastest growing media uh, verticals on the planet, with new and diverse types of games launching continuously. It is therefore of critical importance for FIFA and stakeholders to maximize all future opportunities for football and gaming fans. End quote. To this end, FIFA has been in talks with numerous companies within the gaming, tech, and mobile industry to create a landscape where more than just EA has all the l- rights to its licensing. Quote, FIFA is bullish and excited about the future in gaming and esports for football, and it is clear that this needs to be a space that is occupied by more than one party controlling all rights. Technology and mobile companies are now actively competing to be associated with FIFA its platform, and global tournaments. uh, Consequently, FIFA is engaging with various industry players, including developers, investors, and analysts, to build out a long-term view of the gaming, esports, and interactive entertainment sector." And while I personally have no affinity or interest with football whatsoever, I know that the FIFA games are absolutely huge in the global gaming landscape and that this news is going to have long-lasting impact on the franchise name. Of course, both companies, orgs, are now breaking up because, you know, they disagree with how money is being distributed, and it seems from this statement the breakup was from FIFA because they're asking for a greater share, but then EA doesn't want to give it type thing. Perhaps FIFA thinks that they have an upper hand in the way it's being played out, but I, I I just like to say that uh, FIFA games have long been transformed by EA to be what it is now. It's EA's game, and it's successful more likely than not being EA. The fact that they have been developing and releasing games every year for it, and not solely because it has that uh, FIFA branding on it. That said, I um you know FIFA do you know f- fans of FIFA do buy. Uh, FIFA games because it is FIFA. I just wonder about how much of that uh franchise's audience is made out of you know FIFA branding fans versus you know purely the games fans, right? But if I was a batting person, uh I'd choose EA to have an advantage here actually. Moving on to the second news item. First this is the uh Xbox news segment. So So first, Xbox Series X and S has now sold over 100,000 units in Japan. For comparison, it took uh, Xbox One over four years to reach 100,000 in Japan before. Xbox Series X and S did that in less than a year. Xbox Series has stronger than expected momentum in Japan and could outsell Xbox One Lifetime by the end of 2021, um, which is really impressive growth by Xbox's own historical record and what this tells me is that uh, that they are continuing uh, they are currently doing what they're currently doing over there has been working uh, you know four years of results and then condensed that to to just ha- achieving that in one year now. Of course, I don't believe that because of this result it tells me that oh Xbox will surpass Nintendo or PlayStation's um, you know recognizability or, or prowess over in Japan. whether whether or not it's this gen or next gen or even forever. But what it tells me is that they are proving that there is definitely a demand for Xbox platform there. Um, It's just that what they did in the previous gen was just absolutely horrendously wrong. Uh, And continuing on, now I do have a bit of a bad news to report. And it's the fact that, yeah, um, Xbox Game Pass growth is slowing already as Microsoft reports that it has missed its target, a financial filing spotted by Axios shows that for fiscal year 2021, which is 12 months ended June 30th of 2021, Microsoft aimed to grow Game Pass subscriber base by 47.79%, but the growth achieved was actually 37.48%. By comparison, in fiscal year 2020, when the Game Pass growth metric seemed to have been first introduced, the target was set at 71%, and Microsoft actually grew that number of subscribers by 85.75%. Also, the last time um, we had the actual numbers uh, for, I mean, actual subscriber numbers was in January of 2021, when it revealed that there was 18 million Xbox Game Pass subscribers. Now we do know that it's over 20 uh, million, but we don't know how much exactly. Um, We should keep in mind that uh, last year was when uh, the pandemic hit, so it wouldn't be ridiculous to believe that uh, they overperformed their estimates there. But still, 10% less than their estimated target is not the best to see. Hopefully, this isn't going to be a trend going forward. Now, it's time for the PlayStation news segment. First, we have uh, Sony PlayStation sales numbers. This is by Eddie from GameSpot. Following Microsoft, Sony has now released its latest earnings report, shining a light on how the PlayStation business is performing. The key takeaways are that the PS5 shipped a further 3.3 million units during the July to September quarter, helping the system hit 13.4 million to date. The growth was weaker than expected, according to Bloomberg, due to due in part to ongoing shortages related to chip supply and other factors. Sony also reported that it had 47.2 million PlayStation Plus subscribers for the latest quarter and 104 million active PSN users. Last year, this number was 45.9 million and 108 million um, the year prior it was actually 36.9 million and 96 million which means it hasn't returned to the peak of the pandemic but still strong versus you know prior to the pandemic for comparison though microsoft does not release uh, xbox hardware numbers but an estimated put that the xbox series x and s at around 8 million sold so far and game pass again members climbing above 20 million um, so sony's uh game and in, uh, network service segment reported a revenue of $5.6 billion for the quarter ending of September 30th, 2021, which is a uh, revenue up 27% year-over-year record revenue for the July-September to quarter. It's primarily driven by the PS5 hardware sales, third-party title sales, and add-on content-slash-DLC sales. Now, the operating income for the segment was reported to be at $0.75 billion for the quarter, which means the profit declined 21% over year. Uh, third best reported profit for July to September quarter which is, you know, it, it's mainly due to the PS5 hardware model price at a strategic loss there and lower profit from lower profits from the peripherals and first party game sales. However, the full year outlook has remained un- unchanged. What's notable is that the breakdown of Sony's game and network services division by segment uh, shows that Sony has made uh, less on full game package retail software than its full game package digital software, which is a 4% versus 20% of what they are earning. The digital age is pretty much upon us now, I think, and at least for Sony, uh, Sony PlayStation that is. Alright, so the next PlayStation news... Sony forms PlayStation PC, and God of War PC port is coming as well. Currently, what's different is that the publisher name has changed on Steam, now it's called PlayStation PC, but what's interesting, and I don't know if anyone has really reported on this, is that if you click into PlayStation's publisher page, and then, this is all on Steam by the way, and then go to the abouts tab, it shows that they have 50 games there. Granted, they obviously aren't selling 50 games right now, but what is perhaps happening is that they have approved so far 50 games and are preparing to publish them in the future probably. Connected to this of course is that God of War 2018 is going to have a PC port and it's going to be coming out in January 14th, 2022. It will have 4K support, unlocked frame rate, and a wide range of graphical settings, DLSS and reflex support, custom controls, ultra-wide support, supports both DualShock 4 and DualSense controllers, natively, and also include previously released digital content. God of War 2018 has sold through 19.5 million copies as of August 2021. Again, I talked about this many times in previous episodes that PC is an important future segment of PlayStation's or Sony's business model. Sony themselves have the data to also prove it, which, you know, during their last investors meeting, one of their slides show that Horizon Zero Dawn made a 250% return on investment in only 7 months on PC. They've also announced their acquisition of Nixie Software a few months back, who you know specializes in PC porting. Granted, God of, War's, God of War's PC port, I've learned, is not being done by them or another PlayStation in-house studio, but by the Vancouver-based Jetpack Interactive Studio. It will be overseen by a uh, Santa Monica team. Talking about PlayStation's investment, you know, but we haven't actually seen much yet, is actually their future mobile plans, which is coincidentally the next PlayStation news. Former Apple Arcade head leading PlayStation's mobile strategy. So this is one of the most shrouded investments in the PlayStation portfolio alongside, I suppose, their cloud plans. On the other hand, we've heard and Seen a lot of the PC and VR investments plans, which are definitely more fleshed out for us. Okay, so I'm reading this by VGC by Tom Ivan. PlayStation has seemingly appointed Apple Arcade's former content boss to lead its mobile push. Nicola Sebastiani joined PlayStation in July following almost eight years at the iPhone Maker, according to his LinkedIn profile. He first worked as head of games um, business management for the Apple App Store. From 2013, but before becoming Apple Arcade's head of content in 2018. Before that, he worked at Ubisoft for almost three years as digital product manager. A job advert spotted in April revealed that PlayStation was opening a new business unit to adapt its most popular franchises for mobile. It said the company's head of mobile would work at its Uh, San Mateo or Los Angeles offices in California and would be responsible for developing a product roadmap roadmap for a three to five year time frame. The following month, PlayStation boss Jim Ryan said the platform holder was planning to bring some of its iconic IP to mobile during its current business year ending in March 2022. And just last month, it was confirmed that the classic PlayStation racing franchise Wipeout is returning in form for a new mobile game set for release on iOS, and Android devices in early 2022. But, you know, I know he says that, but seeing how this, you know, they just hired him and they're still in the midst of devising a roadmap for the next two to five years, plus, you know, besides the plans, they have to have teams to develop the games and stuff. I think we won't see the fruits of the labor, um, like the big stuff, probably until the start of 2023 at the earliest, I think. Okay, so before we go into the uh, topic of the week, there's two news quickies quickly going through them. The first news quickie is that uh, we haven't had this, uh, so Cyberpunk update, which we haven't had in a while, but now CDPR has announced in their investment call that Cyberpunk 2077's next-gen upgrade will be coming in Q1 2022 and Witcher 3's next-gen update coming in Q2 2022. And that's it for them. And the second news quickie September 2021's NDP numbers are out, and PlayStation 5 was the United States' best-selling hardware platform in both units and dollar sales in September 2021, ending a 33-month Nintendo Switch streak. While Sony's next-gen console has outperformed the hybrid console in dollar sales, at times over the past year, this is the first occasion where it's outdone it in units as well, suggesting that perhaps the stock situation is improving. Continuing from that news, Bloomberg has also put out that Nintendo Switch OLED has sold 138,409 units during its launch weekend in Japan, in comparison to the OG Switch's launch weekend 2017, which was 330,637 units, and the Switch Lite in 2019 at 177,936 units. So it seems it could be a strong demand situation and a weaker supply. Uh, thing due to supply chain constraint, or that maybe the Japanese don't have a strong demand to buy the OLED version of the Switch, which is also more expensive. Which I know, you know, for Japanese, they prefer like the, the cheaper stuff, I think. Um, there were also reports that the pre order numbers were strong but weaker sales. So, again, it definitely could be the strong demand but weak supply situation. All right, and that is it for all the news quickies this week. We'll take a very quick break before getting into the topic of the week. Okay, so to be frank, I really didn't think I'll be talking about this week's topic. I meant it in the title of this week's podcast episode. Um, So I first stumbled upon blockchain gaming all the way back in episode 8 of the podcast when I was talking about uh, Bitcoin mining since that was being gamified, so I thought it would be cool to talk about that. Um, when I read about blockchain gaming, I was thinking, there's no way that uh, you know, uh, that anyone uh, would uh, be taking on this, You know, it, it, that it would be anything more than a niche or perhaps it would be even less than that. But I guess I was wrong, because in the past couple of weeks, um, this topic was being brought up, and by Valve, no less, the leading PC digital gaming store company, and in response, also Epic Games, which they also just had to barge in their way into the conversation as well. First, perhaps I'll give you a a quick refresh of what blockchain technology is and then uh, what blockchain gaming is about. So, a, quote, blockchain is essentially a system recording information. Think of it as a public digital ledger, filled with transactions and done and verified by computers around the world solving complex math problems. This ledger of transaction is also duplicated and distributed across the entire network of computing systems on this blockchain. Now each block in the chain contains a number of transactions, and every time a new transaction occurs on the blockchain, a record of that transaction is added to every participant's ledger. Basically, it's the base technological layer of all cryptocurrencies. So then, what is blockchain gaming? Well, it's basically, you know, basically it's games that use blockchain technology. The way that it is being used currently is by letting players verify that their items are indeed real and letting them capable of, you know, selling or trading them to anyone anywhere. And if you think that, What I just said you might be thinking, am I talking about something digital inside a game with value or a price tag because that, you know, sounds eerily similar to NFTs, then you are correct. Now, I don't want to get into NFTs too much here, Um, since I know people who stand on both sides of the totem pole, they either really love it or they really hate it. And I'll just say that I'm not going to be spending my, you know, fiat money on a JPEG, despite knowing that my fiat is depreciating. However, you know, I couldn't care less if someone else is doing it. You know, it's a free market. If you want to spend money on the digital art that I can right click and save, um, which very very much might also go to zero or go to hundreds of thousands of dollars for no reason, then by all means, go ahead. Currently, the NFT market is basically a casino, and if you're gambling money, um, then you, you know, just go to the NFT market, I guess, suppose. That's uh, all there is for me. So blockchain gaming is basically the way to make whatever your digital asset you would normally have in, let's say, a traditional adventure RPG, where you acquire EXP, um, in-game currency, weapons, skins, and characters, etc., into something you would actually own for yourself and not just something that developers have control over it um, so because once they you know make the asset whatever it may be it's out there in the market then the market will give a value which the players will determine and be used or traded around now what types of games that may be to be honest I don't care enough to you know like try to research whatever is being developed right now, um, which I think there's like a couple dozen known um, so the reason for this week's topic is because Valve, really, um, they have come out and said that they are banning blockchain games and NFT-based games on Steam. Now, the reason wasn't explicitly said on their, you know, quote, what you shouldn't publish on Steam list. But uh, a developer working on an NFT-based game said on Twitter that the ban was triggered because these games contain game items that could have real-world value, and the company has a policy that their platform won't contain items with real-world value. It kind of makes sense, since uh, they have such a strong grip on their in-house market and trading platform. Now, Brandon Sinclair from gamesentry.biz wrote an opinion piece on this that I thought was really interesting, and, you know, I would like to share some of these points with you guys. So the idea of virtual items having quote real-world value have been a contentious issue for years now. The US government started looking into taxation on these exchange of virtual goods in games like Second Life and World of Warcraft some 15 years ago. The German tax court recently ruled that renting virtual buildings with virtual currency was subject to actual tax. Basically, there's been many cases in the past and present where the games industry has been fighting regulatory bodies across the world that virtual items have no real-world value. This is, of course, the gaming industry's way of fighting taxation and increased regulatory scrutiny. So when you mix in NFT-based games, you pretty much lose on that argument instantly because the general conceit of NFTs is is that to, you know, be able to assign real-world value on these digital goods, right, and then own them. So I would say that uh, what Valve is doing here is actually a very logical one. And it's not really, you know, about the controversial nature of NFTs right now. It's not really about wanting to ban blockchain gaming because they don't like the technology or they don't believe in it. It's actually really about because there's just too many unknowns, little clarity and, you know, many regulatory traps in the future for this technology itself, let alone of having, you know, gaming be revolved around the technology. It's simply you know, just a cost-benefit analysis, I think, and Valve's conclusion is that they couldn't be bothered trying to let some NFT games come through with restrictions. They're just going to ban them all. Which couldn't be said the same from Epic Games, whose CEO Tim Sweeney just had to come out to differentiate themselves with the Steam store. The hustle is real, and I respect that, though. So Epic said that they are open to games that support cryptocurrency or blockchain-based assets on its game store. They however added a but, which is that there will be some limitations, but they are willing to make it work. Epic says that the games would have to comply with financial laws, make it clear how the blockchain is used, and have appropriate age ratings. It also says that developers won't be able to use Epic's payment service to accept crypto, they would have to use their own payment systems instead. Now, I believe that Epic is willing to take on this risk because keep in mind that their storefront is currently still unprofitable and in terms of their business model, they are still getting most of the revenue from Fortnite. Now, compare that to Valve, whose storefront represents a larger chunk of their profit margins. Of course, they don't want to risk that. Tim Sweeney did also come out to say that they themselves aren't really interested in making NFT-based games themselves, saying that, quote, we aren't touching NFTs as a whole field is... Because it's currently tangled up with an an intractable mix of scams, interesting decentralized tech foundations, and scams. End quote. Now, a few days later, a new development happened as a group of NFT developers has published an open letter to request their games to be allowed on Steam. The signatories of the open letter argue that the quote games that utilize blockchain technology and Web3 token based technologies like DAOs, uh daos and nfts can possibly enhance the user's experience of games end quote the letter was signed by a nonprofit advocacy advocacy group fight for the future nft platform engine and the blockchain game Alliance as well as 26 blockchain game companies all right and that is that's it that's it I'm done that's the reason why I am talking about blockchain gaming. And with that said, I'll end it here today, guys. Thank you all for listening. If you wish to follow me, you can find me at at GameBizPod on Twitter. Tune in next week for another, or, you know, maybe the week after that. Maybe some, just whenever. And then I'll see you later. Bye.